You're listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. North of Zero by Slip and Mickey's on AO3. Chapter 22, The Other. They sat at a conference table, the three of them, in a cramped room with a low ceiling and bedrock as one of the walls. It was odd to sit in full electric light. I don't know why I keep expecting Skinner to walk through the door, Mulder said, and William watched as a sad smile washed over his mother's features. Who's Skinner? he asked. He was our old boss at the Bureau, Mulder explained. He helped protect you when you were a baby, Scully said, looking far away. Angela Bassett, whose name turned out to be Humphreys, had been fairly close-lipped while she and the rest of Team Six escorted them to Zero, only assuring them that they were friendly, were working with what was left of a North American governmental alliance against the aliens and what had ensured their cooperation in the short term, were already sending a small team to Arch Rock to retrieve Molly, Pumpkin, and Gypsy. When they'd approached the large iron door that led into the mountain that housed Base Zero, Mulder had leaned down and whispered in his son's ear, How's the homing beacon, kid? Whatever it is, we're really close, William had replied, and that sealed it for the trio who agreed to enter the base and await whatever fate had in store. Elaine had been taken away to another portion of the base when they were led inside, and Humphreys had taken them directly, through what felt like miles of offshoot tunnels, to this conference room and promised that someone would be with them shortly, with answers to every one of their questions. The person that entered the room first was not, in fact, Walter Skinner, but rather a faceless alien, and Mulder shot out of his chair and was halfway across the room with a warlike look on his face when another man entered behind the alien and held up his enormous hands with a pleading command. Wait, Mulder, please! William watched his father pull up short and look at the second man who had entered the room with a startled expression. He was the largest person that William had ever seen. He had a head full of dark auburn hair and a matching bushy beard, and he had to duck under the lintel to walk into the room, which he did with a pronounced limp, a gray metal cane held in one of the hands he'd raised to implore Mulder to stop his attack of the faceless alien. Peter? Mulder said with wonder, and the large man, Peter, smiled and lowered his bear-like arms. Imagine my surprise to hear there was a man named Mulder who entered the base with his wife and son, Peter said. Mulder glanced over at Scully, and Peter's eyes swung to William. The faceless alien also turned his head toward him, and William experienced an odd feeling behind his eyes. I'll be honest, Peter went on. I was expecting an infant. Peter, Scully said, rising from her chair and walking around the opposite end of the conference table to embrace the man warmly. Mulder was still standing several feet from the faceless alien on the other side of the table, looking confused and unsure. Peter hugged Scully back, lifting her a little ways off the ground. Wife, Peter said, setting her down. Did you two make it official? I figured we're common law now. 
quipped Mulder, though he hadn't taken his eyes off the alien, and his expression was wary. It is good to see you, Dr. Scully, the big man said, his eyes crinkling with affection as he looked down on her. Peter, Mulder said with an escalating sense of urgency. Please, Peter said, turning serious and gesturing to the chairs pulled up to the conference table. Sit, I'll explain. I'll sit when you tell me why there's a faceless man here, Mulder started. We're working with them, Peter said simply, sinking slowly into one of the chairs and resting both hands on the top of his cane. Or they with us. I don't know. I was not here when it all started. Either way, they're friends, allies. Scully had walked back to the chair she had been sitting in, but didn't sit down, looking at Peter earnestly. Peter, these aliens, they've destroyed our entire civilization. Peter held up a hand and interrupted her. They have not, he said. But we've seen... You've only seen scant pieces of the whole, Scully. Mulder and I have witnessed these men abducting people, friends of ours. We've witnessed them taking human bodies and loading them onto their ships, Scully said, pointing an accusatory finger at the alien who stood, silent, and still near where Peter was now seated. Yes, Peter said, you have. But they were not responsible for the invasion. In fact, they tried to stop it the only way they were able, their own last resort. They bombed the ships. Mulder said quietly, almost to himself. After the initial invasion, they came down in their own ships and bombed the invaders. Peter nodded. They've been trying to subvert the invasion for over 20 years, amongst many other acts of rebellion, including those you mentioned. Scully. They inoculated the world's population against a virus that would have made us all incubators to the invaders' next generation of conquerors. The black oil? Mulder asked. The alien virus? Peter once again nodded. A vaccine was introduced, added to the existing inoculations. The flu shot, MMR, yellow fever, measles, meningitis, malaria. They were even able to synthesize it and spread it through the air to the whole of the planet with the contrails of commercial aircraft. Scully looked like she was about to short-circuit when Mulder spoke again. They were able to inoculate the entire planet? Quite successfully, Peter said. If a person encountered the oil, their immune system would attack it, kill it, and eject it. I'm sure you, like me, encountered the remnants on occasion. William thought of those he had come across with Dan. Bad fucking juju. Then what happened? Scully finally spoke. The invaders improvised, Peter said. They began taking out vast swaths of the population, and the people they killed, they took. Scully, you said you and Mulder watched as our faceless friends abducted people, as they loaded bodies? Scully nodded. If it was the faceless men, they brought them all here, not to kill or to conquer, but to save. We housed thousands upon thousands of survivors here, and in other safe spaces throughout the world. And those bodies? They collected them so that they could be safely interred here amongst the magnetite fields of zero, so that they wouldn't be turned. Turned? Scully asked. Super soldiers, William spoke, his voice soft when he finally spoke, the realization coming as the words left his mouth. 
The invading aliens are taking people and the bodies of the dead and turning them into super soldiers on their ships. Peter closed his eyes. Yes, he said, on a deep breath. Yes, they have no hope of bringing about the next generation of their kind here on Earth, not after the failure of the alien virus, and so instead, they are raising an army. For what? Mulder finally lowered himself into a chair, and Scully followed suit. Eventually, they plan to rape the Earth of her resources and take the army they've built to other places, other planets, other societies which do not have immunity or their deadly method of reproduction. So some of the ships are the invading aliens and some are the faceless rebels, Scully asked. Why didn't they communicate that? The people that are left are terrified. It's complicated, Peter said, and there are far more of the invading aliens and their ships than there are of our faceless friends. It's best if the remaining population of Earth keeps their distance. The rebels save who they can find, but the invading aliens... Those who can alter their appearance to look like your wife, your friend, your neighbor. It's good that people are afraid. They should be. You're housing survivors here? Mulder asked. Thousands, said Peter. And there are other bases throughout the world doing the same thing. Places like this, rich in magnetite. Places their super soldier army can never enter. So humanity lives on, Scully said, stuck in the bowels of the earth. Not for long, Peter said, a confident smile spreading across his face. The super soldiers we will have to deal with, but the places they are made, the ships the invaders live on, where they cultivate the human dead for their evil purpose, where they house their technology, we have a plan to bring them down. This is, Scully started, a lot to take in, Peter said. I understand. I am so pleased you have come, my friends. And my goodness, you've brought us bravo. How wonderfully unexpected. He looked at William. So many of our prayers have been answered. Had I but known you were Charlie and Delta. Bravo, Scully said. Charlie, Delta, you have us at a loss, Peter. Code names, he said, for your protection. As the shape-shifting aliens are after you. We didn't know your identities until you arrived here. And this... This boy, Peter said, gesturing to William, is Bravo, one of our saviors. William felt his insides go liquid. We've known of his existence, but not who he was. He's been hiding from us. His name is William, Scully said prickly. William, Peter said, nodding kindly and deferentially. It is an honor to meet you, William. I am Peter, an old friend of your parents. William looked at the man for a long moment, trying to process all he was hearing. It's nice to meet you, too, he finally answered. Peter turned to Scully, his eyes softening. I had no idea you had a child, he said, so kindly and with such empathy that William decided then that he liked the man, even if every word out of his mouth was more confusing and terrifying than the last. We lost him a very long time ago, Scully said, reaching out and taking William's hand. But he recently found his way back to us. Peter nodded at this. Remarkable, he said. It was wise to hide yourself, William. We're not the only ones looking for you. I know, William said, lowering his head. 
The invading aliens, Peter went on, looking back to Mulder and Scully, and their soldiers. They know your boy and know of his powers. They've been doing everything they can to keep him from getting here to zero. Going so far as to radicalize weak people of faith to do their hunting for them. We've discovered that for ourselves, Mulder said. What I want to know is, why? Because your son's powers will help us defeat them. William suddenly slammed his hand down on the table so hard it hurt. Scully flinched. Stop, he said. Stop talking about me like I'm not in the room. Stop talking about me like I'm some kind of savior. You didn't even know who I was. You said it yourself. You don't know anything about me. Peter looked at him kindly. But we do, William, he said. How? Because you're not the only one with gifts, Peter said gently. William felt like he was going to faint. Peter smiled and rose slowly, then limped to the door. He cracked it and said in a low voice, Murphy, if you would, can you bring Alpha here, please? Then he turned and came back into the room. I know we've barely scratched the surface here and that you are all tired and overwhelmed. I'm sure you have more questions and I promise you I have more answers. There is so much more to discuss, but first, I'd like you to meet someone. The next moment, there was a soft knock on the door. Peter opened it to reveal a teenage girl, about the same age as William. She was pretty, with long dark hair, a heart-shaped face, high cheekbones, and a small pointed nose. Her eyes were large and brown, like the richest mahogany. One look at them, and William lost the ability to speak. Hi, the girl said somewhat shyly. Alpha, Peter said to her, then looked at William. This is Bravo. She moved forward and stepped up to where William was sitting, offering him her hand. I've been waiting a long time to meet you, she said. He reached out and tentatively took her hand. As soon as he touched her, click. The flailing, searching sensation in his head whose needle had been swinging wildly, fell into place as if it were a compass, finding true north. I, he fumbled, and then shook his head. I'm William, he said. Hi, William, she said. I'm Joy. God, he was tired, weary of body, of mind, of spirit. He kept moving more out of momentum than anything else. The pull he felt in his mind, a dogged, never-ending ache. Had there really ever been a time when he hadn't felt it? Had there really ever been a time when he hadn't done this? This plodding, constant traveling, shielding himself from ships, avoiding people, dodging voids? He put food in his mouth and boots on his feet, and one step at a time, in a state of ceaseless lassitude, William sojourned north. When it happened, he almost wasn't ready for it. He was refilling his bottle, pumping water from a small rock pool through his microbial filter, when two things happened at the same time. The first thing was his senses picking up on two people approaching him from the northwest. He hadn't seen anyone for days, and hadn't expected to. He didn't even really purposefully reach out with his mind to feel them like he normally would have. He got a prickly feeling up his back, and there they were. The second thing 
the most unexpected thing after so long, was a strange, almost righteous click in the innermost lamella of his mind, and the homing beacon, the lodestar he'd been following for months, years, millennia, it felt like, locked into place and shut itself off as a key slides into a lock and shuffles all the tumblers into their grooves. He saw them a moment later, as he ducked behind a tree, a man and a woman, he tall and she short, he dark and she light. And William felt the oddest sense of being the switch that closed the circuit, as though the man was of the earth and the woman was of the sky, and William was the horizon that held them both together. He felt more alive in that moment than he had since he could last remember. They were improbably, being that they were walking along the estuary of a wild river in the middle of nowhere, holding hands. The man carried a small waterproof pack which he swung off his shoulder when he and the woman reached the pool where William had been filling his bottle. The man dropped the woman's hands and she crossed her arms to watch him. I'm just saying, Scully, the man said. I could do it. The woman sighed, long-suffering but patient. I'm not saying you couldn't. I'm just saying maybe you shouldn't. He took a knee on the cold earth and opened up the top of the pack, pulling out a couple of small tools. He smiled up at her, adoringly. You know I always appreciate you looking out for me. He stood then and leaned down to press a soft kiss to the end of the woman's nose. But I still think I could, and should. The woman gave a short bark of laughter. Well, far be it for me to undermine your confidence, Mulder. It was the man's turn to laugh. Then he grabbed one of the tools and leaned over the pool. A moment later, he picked up a small gill net, absolutely full of large silver fish. The man gave a quick shout of triumph. It worked, he said. The woman smiled and touched his back, then stepped forward to help him work the fish out and load them into a smaller pack she had folded into the belt of her waist. When they were finished, they each mumbled something to the other that William couldn't hear and kissed. It was long and lingering, and after a moment, William looked away, embarrassed. When he chanced to glance back, they were wending their way back up the small creek the same direction from which they'd come. And, feeling a kind of nervous surety, William followed them. When they separated, William had to decide which of them to shadow. It had been five days, and he'd made it a kind of game. Stop when they stop, camp when they camp, sleep when they sleep. They were on horses, which actually made it easier— the horses were noisy, and he had to make less of an effort to shield or hide himself. But when they arrived at a small corrugated tin shack at the base of a mountain pass, the man and the woman separated, and William had to choose. It probably would have been easier to stay behind with the man. He simply hobbled the horses and went inside the shack. But the woman had intrigued him since he'd come across them and there was something familiar about her that elicited in him a curiosity, just intriguing enough that when she grabbed the rifle and started hiking up the pass, he pulled down his wool hat and decided to follow her. It had gotten cold the last few days, freezing cold, and he had to avoid using the trail she was on because he didn't want to leave tracks in the snow, which made the going slower and harder. It was clear she was hunting, but she'd had no luck, 
and he knew that she was giving up and heading back to the man, for which he felt an immense sense of relief. He was tired and could barely feel his feet from the cold, and that was when it happened. He was distracted by his exhaustion, a little clumsy from the cold, and he didn't see ice that was sitting just off the trail until he stepped on it. His feet went out from under him, and he came down, hard, landing squarely on the wrong side of his foot. He heard the snap in his ankle before he felt it. The woman whirled around, the cape that hung around her shoulders snapping like a wingbeat in the night. And as she approached him, William felt a kind of existential relief and welcomed her ingress and whatever it brought with her. His enlightenment or destruction, Elan Vital or doom. Whatever came to pass, he was just glad the wait was finally over. If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there. <laughs>